Some call me Steve, Dad, Husband or Friend. Others might call me Boss, Coach or Mentor. Today you can call me the Leadership Hacker. Thanks for listening in, I really appreciate it. My job as the Leadership Hacker is to hack into the minds, experiences, habits and learning of great leaders, C-suite executives, authors and development experts so that I can assist you developing your understanding and awareness of leadership. I'm Steve Rush and I'm your host today. I'm the author of Leadership Cake. I'm a transformation consultant and leadership coach and can't wait to start sharing all things leadership with you. Delighted to announce that we have two special guests on today's show. We have father and son duo, Glenn and Michael Parker. Michael is a managing director for Rockefeller Capital Management. And Glenn is an internationally recognized facilitator and leadership development expert, having authored 16 books. And before we get a chance to speak with both Glenn and Michael, it's a leadership hacker news. In the news today, we're going to consider the notion of influence and feeling positive. But of course, as leaders, it's our absolute responsibility to demonstrate positivity and to help influence people in the right way. But how much of that focus do we really turn on ourselves? When was the last time you were a positive influence on you? As leaders, we'll be coaching our colleagues, helping them find new ways of working and unlocking their potential. The one coach that I'd like you to pay attention to today is the one that you wake up with in the morning. That's the voice in your head. It's the first voice you listen to when you wake up and it tells you to go to the bathroom, brush your teeth or whatever your routine is. It's also the last voice you hear when you go to sleep, telling you what's hanging over from the day or what you can look forward to tomorrow. And rather scarily, it's also the voice in your head that you'll listen to last when you leave this mortal planet. So we need that voice in our head to be a positive force in our life and our work. So take a deep breath, open your eyes, look up, smile. Everything's going to be all right. Positivity and self-talk can really unlock great positive influence in ourselves, which infects others around us. But this notion is easier said than done. We have to practice, we have to be disciplined, and we have to train. And I wanted to share a story with you of something I've shifted in my life this year in response to the environment and the lockdown. There's been a real positive influence in the way I do things. My morning routine for 2021 has really shifted. I wake up 45 minutes earlier than I did in 2020. And in that time, when I wake up, I spend 10 minutes or so in yoga and stretching. I spend a further 10 minutes in meditation, often 15 minutes. And then I read some positive interviews or articles, or I flick through a few pages of my book that I'm currently reading. Then I skip into the next part of my routine to take my dog Casper for a 30 to 40 minute walk every day. This 90 minutes or so of my morning schedule has completely reformed how I think. And it's definitely helped become a positive influence, not just for me, but for those around me. What I also then noticed is in me feeling positive, it helped me with random acts of kindness and insights and help and support that may not have been quite natural to me prior to my new routines. So with the random act of kindness week having just passed, it's now time to go outside of your comfort zone Be loud with yourself, positivity, and your kindness to others. By focusing on yourself first, everything is not going to be just fine. Everything is going to be amazing. 
and explore the good in you. That's been the Leadership Hacking News. Love to hear your stories, insights or information, so please get in touch. Joining me on the show today is a father and son duo, Michael and Glenn Parker. Michael is a senior executive of 25 years. He's a global thought leader, currently managing director for Rockefeller Capital. Glenn is an author of 16 books, who's internationally recognized as a thought leader, leadership facilitator and consultant. And collectively, they've written the book, Positive Influence. Michael, Glenn, welcome to the Leadership Hacker podcast. Great to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate the opportunity. So as a father and son duo, you are our first father and son duo on the show and uh, delighted that we have the opportunity to speak with you today. What was it that drew you together in this moment to put pen to paper? <laughs> well, actually, um, I, I had um, something happen to me that um, was kind of a seminal moment. A, a, a man who had been in a client of mine for almost 20 years, which, as you know, Steve, is, is quite unusual to work with someone for that long. Um, but I did. And he, I got to notice um, that he had passed away and it was going to be a memorial for him. And so as I thought of, I was sort of stunned. Uh, and at first I started, and then I started to think about um, our relationship and the impact that he had had on me. And I realized that he had been a very significant positive influence um, on my life and my career. I went to the memorial. Um, I knew a lot. You know, I knew his family somewhat because we later we became we became friends, um, and I got a chance to share some of the stories about him. And they all said to me, "Oh, yeah, that's Bill. That's that's exactly him." Um, and so I thought a little bit about it, uh, and I thought I can't be the only person that's had a, a person in their life that's been a significant positive influence. And I said, gee, I think uh, there's a book there. There's something I would like to write. I'd like to research it. And I, I, I think I'd like to write it. So, um, so I came home and the first person I called was Michael, who is uh, obviously not only my son, but somebody that, um, you know, I'm very close with and um, I, I respect a great deal for his experience and knowledge and he's very much in tune with the literature of, of, of leadership and management and organizations. And I ran this idea by him. And he said, I'd read that book. <laughs> and I said, hmm, how would you like to write that book with me? And he said, I would love it. And that's how we got started on this journey. So it's been, you know, it, it's been a wonderful, um, it's been a wonderful experience and how awesome. you know, happy to share that um, with you, Steve. Yeah. And Michael, from your perspective, this was your first attempt at writing with somebody alongside you who's got loads and loads of experience in writing. How was it for you? Uh, comforting. Um. <laughs> <laughs> So, full disclosure, Steve, I was um, the timing was great because um, I needed something to do. I was on a garden leave uh, from a, just very recently was um, entered into a garden leave for about six months. So the timing was outstanding, and I'm I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have done this uh, on my own. It takes a lot of courage. I've learned a lot from the whole experience, uh, and so it's of course on top of it being able to do with my father, who's one of my one of my influences, positive influences, and someone I I, I admire. We as he said, very we're very close. 
Uh, and I, and of course, on top of that, I loved, I loved the, the idea and the concept. Um, so, you know, there, there were, you know, you know, six or seven or eight things that just came together as a real positive and a great opportunity and the timing was outstanding. So I was excited about it. Awesome. That's great news. And, and, uh, what a wonderful thing to have as a legacy between father and son as well. So, uh, I congratulate you on that. So the book Positive Influence focuses on the various elements of what it takes to be a positive influence leader. So as a starting point, Glenn, maybe you can give us a sense of what is a positive influence leader? Well, um, let let me let me answer that question by by telling you a story, another sort of personal story. And by the way, uh, this gives you a hint as to what the heart of the book is. It's a series of stories from which we drew very specific conclusions. So I take you back to my very first job out of graduate school, my very first boss, and my very first performance evaluation meeting. So I'm, I'm, I'm meeting with Larry, and the meeting's going well. He thinks I've done a good job. And I, I should say, parenthetically, that my job essentially involved doing research and writing reports. Pretty boring stuff, but you know, God, I was I, I I was good at boring, and uh, so uh, we get to a point in uh, the performance appraisal where you talk about your development plan. What are you going to do going forward? So he says to me, Glenn, you know, what's what's in the future for you? What would you like to do? Well, I had been seeing and listening to the group across the hall who were doing leadership training for the organization. And they seemed to be having a lot of fun. They were traveling all over and coming back with stories of what happened in in these programs and, of course, travel stories. And I thought, gee, that would be a lot of fun. So um, I, I said, what I'd like to do is to be able to observe a class uh, uh, and as part of my development plan. So Larry said, well, as a matter of fact, I'm traveling next week and I'm going to be conducting two of these um, leadership training workshops. Why don't you come along with me? He said, the one thing, though, Glenn, is that I really can't justify your travel experiences unless you teach something. I said, teach something? Well, you know, my lips started to quiver and I thought, well, Larry, I I, I don't know anything. How could I teach something? He said, don't worry, we'll figure it out. And he did, and we did, and I did, and I. it went very well. I only taught two hours on the afternoon of the second day, so it was pretty, um, it was a pretty secure kind of experience. And essentially what Larry did is he kind of positioned me to, to be successful. And I, I thought to myself at the end of this, this is what I want to do. So what Larry had done in the way of being a positive influence leader was to find my true, help me find my true north, my purpose, my, this is what I should be doing. He saw something in me, Steve, that I didn't see in myself, that, that there, there was something there that I could do and I could do it pretty well. And so he essentially became, I didn't realize at the time what he was doing, but it was it was profound upon reflection as we thought about these kinds of experiences. So yeah, so that was that that's a good example, and it's a good example of one of the types of mm-hmm. positive influence leaders that we've 
come upon. And it's a great story, and I quite like the whole thing that it doesn't have to be a transformational moment. It doesn't have to be this seminal moment of inspiring people. It just needs to be somebody that puts you into a place that allows you to be successful, right? Exactly, and I, I'd love to hear your story, Steve, about mm. what you know a person in your life. But the key thing is, and I think this is sort of important, is that he did position me to be successful. He didn't say to me, which he could have, Glenn, look, why don't you teach this two-day workshop? I'll sit in the back of the room, observe, give you feedback. No, he didn't do that because that would have been way too much and I wouldn't have been ready for that. He recognized that again Mm. and, and put me in a position to be successful, giving me something that I knew, I knew well, I could do, and it was a, a limited experience, and I could get that aha moment. So, but Steve, may, maybe you've had uh, someone in your life that did something similar. May not have been this, but something where somebody was supportive, or they taught you yeah. something that you needed to know. Yeah, it's a great prod, and I'd uh, love to share it with you. So, I uh, had my first leadership role when I was 24 years old, and my first team were all very quite misogynistic, white males, all old enough to be my dad. And none of them really wanted to be in the business I was leading. And I'd just been very successful in my financial services role. And as a result of taking the new role, had to take a back step. So there was no commission and bonuses. It was it was now back to a salary and I was in a leadership space. And I'd done my, my math on how much money I needed to earn to replace and what my sales figures needed to be and my quality figures needed to be. And I, I felt presented with this real solution of, of I'm going to fail at this. I'm never going to be able to achieve this. And I went in to see my new boss who just joined the business at a very similar time to me. His name is Ted Wood. And I said to Ted, I've just worked my numbers through, Ted. And with this bunch, I need to do 176% of sales plan. I need to do 150% of this. I need to do 130% of that. And you know what? I said, um, I, I think I've been really you know, tucked up here. And his words to me was, Steve, you want to be a leader, go lead. <laughs> and it, it kind of shocked me because I was expecting this, this solution. I was expecting him to feed me with loads of ideas and ingenuity. Uh, and he said, just go away and work out a plan. So I came back a few days later with my plan. I said, here I go, Ted. I've worked it out. In order to do this 176% of the plan, I'm going to have to do these things, these things. And these guys have never done it before. It's impossible. He said, so how are you going to do those things? I haven't worked that out yet. He said, go away and work that out. I come back a couple of days later and I said, right, in order to do these things, I need to do all of these other things. And he kept pushing and prodding me back into my place of, until I got to that level of thinking that really unlocked the specific daily tasks and activities and things I needed to do to really make a difference. And and Ted won't know this. In fact, uh, you know, if he listens to this, he'll probably feel surprised at that. But that was the biggest learn in a very early leadership lesson for me, because it's about being really thoughtful and really granular at the small things that you can do to enable the big things. And and long story short, 18 months later, this bunch of diehards who didn't really want to be there, all bar one, were having a great time. And the one that wasn't there, we decided that it wasn't right for him either. They were all hitting their numbers and their sales plans. And we had a fabulous relationship together as a team of uh, a new rookie leader, you know, that's, that's an, and that's my, my example of that positive influence. Yeah, that's a great story. It's a good example where a person doesn't necessarily, uh, they, they kind of teach you what you need to know, push you to come up with the answers yourself. And so you have that 
you, you have that moment where you realize, yeah, this is, this is what I really should be doing. So, you know, again, that's to us, that would be somebody we would call a teacher, positive influence leader who kind of teaches you by sort of that kind of Socratic method of, um, of uh, coming of self-discovery and figuring that, figuring it out for yourself. Yeah. Does that make sense, Michael? Indeed. And Michael, you've come up with lots of research to find that there's not just this one type of positive influence, but there are actually four. Maybe between you, you could just spin through what do they yeah. mean and how do they, how would we know which one of a positive leader I've either been influenced by or could be? I mean, so there's a, there's a, there's a story behind how we, how we got to the four types that we can get into, but, but to, to bring it to your point, there are in fact, right. I think going into it, we thought there might be Steve had a, had a, you know, hypothesis. There may be just one universal style of positive influence leadership, but in fact, it's all four. One is um, supportive and, and that's the, you know, that's the person that, that, um, or the leader that says, I'm here for you. I believe in you. I've got your back and, and they get you to believe that you can do it. Um, and they allow you to do uh, things yourself, uh, but they need to be encouraged. And we have a number of, of examples of that. Um, you know, successful person who said that their mother encouraged, nudged, pushed them, pushed her and got her to believe in herself and do the things that they never dreamed of doing. Who said, you know, don't let anyone stop you from doing something that you've never done before. And there are a number of stories that we unearthed through the interviews, the many interviews that we did throughout. But supportive is, is one example. Um, the teacher, in fact, I just came across a, an, an article about Kobe Bryant, where a number of players were fortunate enough to be invited to a special camp that he put on for a subset of young, elite, up-and-coming players. And many of them talked about what a great teacher he is. He brought them inside of his training methodology and how he became the great player. So the teacher leader is someone who teaches you the things you need to learn, but they also create uh, in you a desire to learn. And my, my first boss was like that. He did not, at that time, it wasn't enough for him to be supportive. He, he, he said, he looked at me and said, you really don't know what you're doing. I need to teach you how to do this job. And so they teach you the skills and the knowledge, but also how to do things, you know, the right way. And um, so as I mentioned, Mike, who was a former boss of mine, the first boss I ever had, who said, you know, he had to show me sort of the roadmap of step by step of how to really function in a job I had never done before. So that's the second, the teacher, the, the motivator, uh, or the motivating leader is is the third. And that's someone who inspires or pushes or, or maybe even pulls you to take uh, action to find your purpose or your or your true, true north. You know, Martin Luther King was one of these motivating, great motivating leader who, who helped people take action around their purpose, that part of people that is central to who they are. And they, the motivator, I think, sees something in people that they oftentimes don't see themselves uh, or maybe they weren't ready to see it. So that's the, I think that's the third. And then role model is the fourth. And that's, and that's a person who provides a great example, a powerful example from which we can learn how to be uh, successful. Uh, and you may, you may choose to try to closely emulate the person or by extracting certain traits and integrating them into your style. I mentioned Kobe Bryant. Interesting to bring it together. You know, Kobe Bryant said that Michael Jordan was his single biggest influence in his life. And he said he wouldn't be here, wouldn't have made it the way that he did without him. And yet 
he didn't meet him until he was a successful player. And what he said was, I grew up wanting to be him. I tried to copy everything that he did and everything that I saw. And, you know, it turned out he had, Jordan had influenced an entire generation of players just as a role model, not as a teacher, but really as a role model. They wanted to be him from their childhood. Right. So the effective role model is just very aware that people are watching. That's my favorite part about you know, doing research on the role model is that the effective role model is aware that people are watching and they're aware that their actions must be aligned with their work. They, they walk the walk, talk the talk. So those are the four styles, Steve. I guess not everybody can be as lucky or as fortunate as as us in having those positive experiences. And there'll be people that have maybe had a few leaders in their life who have been less positive and more negative influences. How do you deal with that? Yeah, we um, came across uh, a, a number of people who told us about negative experiences, some of them that, that were horrendous. I mean, some of them were really hard to believe and hard to uh, realize that, that they could be overcome. For example, Jerry, a young he, he's actually went on to have a long career as an engineer and engineering management, uh, engineering manager with GE. But he told us about an experience when he was in high school where he went to talk to the career counselor about what he wanted to do. And he told her, he said, I want to go to college and I want to have a double major in engineering and economics. And, and she gave him that look like, Really? You? Now, I should say that because this is, you know, in some part of the part of his story is that he's an African-American man. And he said, yes, I do. And he went on to college. He graduated with a double major in economics and engineering, went on to have a long career as first as an engineer with General Electric and then as an engineering manager. And I said to him, Jerry, do you think that she said that to you or she gave you that look because you're African-American. He said, no, she was just bad at her job. Right. And I said, did you ever go back to school? Some people go back, you know, alumni day and so on uh, and, and speak to her. He said, no, he said, I didn't need to. So one of the coping strategies that we got from Jerry and a number of other people was they went set out to prove the person wrong. The person that said, you'll never make it. You know, you're not very good in math. You know, not many women make it in that field. Yeah. Their strategy is to say, yeah, you know what? I'm going to prove you wrong. And so that's one. And, and a number of people had that. There was a certain amount of grit involved in that, uh, in, in that strategy. Sometimes you're in a negative experience and you cannot extract yourself from it. Yeah, I guess the negative experience is still a positive influence, right? Yeah, you can learn from it and go on to turn it into a, as you say, a positive influence. Your parents are your parents. And sometimes parents are, are not that positive. Or you're in a job and you can't afford to leave that job. You don't have another option. So you've got to deal with this particular boss. In one instance, Mindy, someone we interviewed for the book, her first real job was in a women's health clinic. And the boss consistently fostered conflict among the employees. She also rarely listened to any ideas from any employees about how to improve services for the women uh, that, that were coming to the clinic. It was a 
difficult and bad experience, but um, Mindy could not afford at that point to leave. So she took it all in. And later, when she got a chance to run her own organization, she now, by the way, runs a very successful um, program for uh, women who have been physically and sexually abused. She took all of that in and said, when my turn, when it's my turn to become a leader of an organization, I'm going to do exactly the opposite. So you learn by saying, no, that's I, I want to do do it completely opposite. And a number of people learn from that that type of experience. And there's three or four other uh, ways of dealing with negative influences that, and that we describe in the book. But you get some idea that people were able to develop coping strategies uh, that got them through the experience and actually made them better uh, uh, coming out the other end. And I guess one thing that I perhaps want to explore with you, and maybe this is one for you, Michael, in the corporate world that you're in today, how much of this do you put down to just having high levels of self-awareness first around how you're impacting on others in the leadership space? How much is this? How much of this is about self-awareness? Yeah, it's, it's a big part, if not everything. You know, just thinking about you know, way the way to carry it. You know, um, it, you know towards the end of the year, we're, you know, we're talking about you know, compensation and promotions and rewards and recognition. And I often you know, I try to remind myself, you know, on a regular basis that every opportunity I have to give away um, the credit to the people on our team who are really doing a lot of the heavy lifting, uh, but get very little of the recognition reward. Uh, because, you know, if I'm, if I recognize or go out of my way to put the uh, success of the team out in front, I'll get the credit anyway. I, I don't need to go after the credit myself because if my people around me are successful and they're doing great work and we, we highlight them as the leader, you get the credit anyway. So I, I think there's a good example of being aware because the, the people that are doing a lot of the hard work to make the leader look good, uh, be, you know, quickly become resentful, even if they're being paid well for not being recognized. And uh, that that's a great example of this, this time of year we just passed through to just be aware of um, what kind of leader you are and setting that example. That's a great example of being, being a role model. Uh, I have a, a great individual contributor on my team who's trying to emerge as a leader. Yeah. And that was a, an example of something that I passed on to her. I said, now you now have people reporting to you uh, but I can't tell how they're doing. You never promote them. You don't talk about them. Yes, yeah, good. Uh, and there, there's a good example of, of awareness uh, that fits into one of our styles as a role model. Yeah. Michael, wasn't Mark say to you one of the things that he lives by is uh, take all the blame and none of the credit? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that that's a good leadership hack, too, I think, right? That's give away the credit where you can and certainly, you know, assume the blame um, when you have to. But it, I, I bring that up to you, Steve, just because we just got to pass through this period of time where those opportunities were staring, were literally being teed up. And um, it, it's an easy one, frankly, to be um, a great role model when you're giving away credit and highlighting the people around yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely right. So if I'm a, a leader and I'm setting out on my journey and I want to have much more of a positive influence in my team, is there somewhere that you would direct me in terms of where should I start this journey? Read our book. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, read the book. And there's a lot, there's a number of things in the book. And I'll start with one simple thing. And an organization that I know, they, they 
you know, loved the book a lot. And they gave the book out to this person, gave it out to everybody on their team. And, and what they're doing is reading it in sections, reading it by chapter. And uh, at the end of every chapter, and you may have noticed this, Steve, there, there, there are review questions to help have people reflect on what, what they learned from the chapter and how they can apply it to their own work, current work situation. So what this person is doing is every week, the uh, members of the team are expected to read a chapter and then they come in prepared to discuss those particular four, the, those four or five questions that are at the end uh, of each of the chapters. So they're doing this kind of slowly. A more robust kind of way of learning how to be a positive influence leader is at the back of the book is a self-assessment survey that uh, where you can answer a series of uh, 18 items and you get a score for which of the four of the styles that Michael described is your primary style. And so that will tell you what you're particularly good at now, and it may also tell you some areas that maybe you want to improve on and, and build on. What we know from this approach is that all of us have the capability of being and utilizing all four of the styles. We just happen to use one or perhaps two more often than others, something that we call your, your primary style. At the same time, we're also uh, about to publish a, a 360 version of that survey so that you can, uh, in a team building class or, uh, or in a leadership development program, you can do your self-assessment, but also give the 360 version of it to colleagues, people on your team, your bosses, your peers. Uh, in, in the organization, other stakeholders, and they fill it out on you, how they see you, how they perceive your style, how they perceive your strengths, how they perceive the areas that uh, you, you might want to improve upon. And you use that as part of a self-development plan. You can do it with a coach. You can do it with a team. You can do it as part of a, a leadership development class. So, yeah, there's lots of ways that you can learn how to be to first understand who you are and then learn how to be a, a more effective positive influence leader. And we've provided not only the book, but supplementary materials that support that effort. Awesome. That's a great idea. And also, of course, it's not just as easy as saying, I'm going to do some reading, I'm going to do some reflecting, I'm going to put some things in place. You are only, of course, a positive influence if somebody in receipt of you and your experiences tells you you are. So that whole kind of closing that feedback and reevaluating and setting and going again, I suspect, is part of that, right? That's exactly right. So this is the chance of and part of the show for me to hack into your superb leadership minds and thinking. So I'm going to ask each of you in turn to tell me what are your top three leadership hacks. So I'm going to kick off with you first, Michael. Yeah, um, one I just said, <laughs> the one I just said, which is um, give away the credit. Yeah, I think if she, you know, like look, if she, this is a big one. I think as you as you mature as a leader, when you go from sort of contributor to leader, it's a tough one, depending on how you're wired. But if you can, if you give her, if she reports to you, you get the credit for her anyway. All right. People will pray if you if you care that much about praise and your people do really well, you'll be praised because of them. You chose them. You developed them. You cultivated relationships. You, you built them up as great performers. Uh, you get the credit anyway. But more importantly, I think there's a greater reward in seeing the people that um, around you 
get rewarded, recognized, promoted, and credit. So that that's a big one. So when I look at our group, you know, core principles, one of our core principles, Steve, is focus on results, mm-hmm. not on activity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We say this up front when we're interviewing people, and we naturally will turn some people off, which is good. We, I, I say this to, to, to folks in interviews that are um, considering a, a, an opportunity with us. We compensate for results and outcomes, not effort. Effort is, uh, in our mind, is it's a table stake. It's not a differentiator. Effort is expected. I, I don't need to be reminded how hard people work. Uh, I know they're working hard because I expect them to work hard. It's the result that, that matters more than their effort. That doesn't mean we don't appreciate the journey. The journey is, is uh, one of the great rewards, but it's, it's results versus effort um, and activity. I'll take results. Those are the two most important. Third, I would say with um, each member of our team, we try to find out what motivates people by getting to know them. So we, we find that they fall into uh, a variety of categories, monetary reward, recognition, uh, promotability, being included in key decisions. In the absence of knowing what motivates people, it's it's really hard to know how to lead and manage them because you may or may not be pushing the right buttons. And if you push the right buttons, you get people to rise to the occasion and follow you. So those are my three. Awesome. They're really uh, great hacks and uh, great learning. So thank you for sharing, Michael. Dan, how about you? I'm going to uh, focus on teams because I think as you know, Steve. So a lot of your work, right, is on teams? Yeah, a lot of my work was on teams, building teams. So um, so my uh, I, I start with the basics, which is goals, objectives, and plans. Set goals, develop specific objectives, and develop plans to achieve those goals and reach those objectives. Number two, involve the team in that process. Plan is only as good as the involvement and the commitment of the team uh, to those plans. And the only way to really get that is to involve them in the process so it becomes their plan, their goals. And the third uh, is very much related to that, and it is empower the team, empower the employees so that once the goals are set, the objectives are in place, the plan has been developed, there's a budget for it, empower the team to take action within the scope of all of that so that they are taking responsibility for the achievement of that. Um, and I, that is, you know, a belief in them that I think tracks to a lot of the things that Michael said on his hacks. Great stuff. Love it. The next part of our show, we call this Hack to Attack. So this is typically where something hasn't worked out at all well, maybe even screwed up. It could be in your life or your work. But as a result of the experience and the learning that's come from it, it now serves you as a positive in your life and work. What would be yours, Michael? You know, this one I'm not sure is the perfect fit to your question, but uh, I just think because I am again, it's fluid and it's happening in our lives and maybe one of the significant things is the pandemic. So one of the things that that happened in our business is we learned uh, how, as individuals and as um, and as teams and as a company, to adapt. Like so, so the the entire world world was hit with this. Right? So everyone's impacted. Businesses are impacted. Some of them much more severely than than others. I I'm, um, I work in New York ordinarily. And I still go in once a week, and I see the damage um, that's that's been caused in uh, what I think is the greatest you know city in the world. And, it's um, disheartening to say the least, but we were, we're fortunate. We're in a business where um, we can not only survive, but we can thrive. We didn't know that when the pandemic began to take hold, 
We had no idea. We were in a panic like everyone else. But here's the specific thing that we learned, Steve, which was how to optimize sophisticated but previously underutilized technology, uh, still maintain and build relationships and our business. Mm. So we were hit with this crisis. It's still going on. It's fluid. But now we're at a place where if it never changed, like if it, it never got materially better, and I know it will, we could continue to run our business and thrive. We have figured out we're in a people business, a relationship business, but we can actually continue to run and grow a business utilizing people, process, and technology in spite of a um, of an unforeseen crisis and pandemic. It's all a learning, isn't it? And at the time when you're in the crisis or you're in that moment, it often doesn't feel like learning. It just feels like existing or getting through or coping. But it is a learn, right? The only unfortunate thing is, as I say that, I also know, as I mentioned, being in New York, I also know that not every business has is afforded the same right. ability, which is really unfortunate. Get that. Yeah. Glenn, how about you? What's your hack to that? So I'm going to make my I'm going to make mine personal. I'll take you back to uh, um, my my early years when I was just entering uh, college. Um, I had uh, I ended up having a pretty bad experience initially because I had the idea that I was a great basketball player and I did nothing but play basketball. I, I, I practiced. I played. And then I watched other games. And that's pretty much what I did for most of the fre- my freshman year in college. So as a result, I ended up being on academic probation at the end of the, the first semester. It was a, it, you know, it was a horrible experience. But I had this view that I, I and I loved playing basketball. I loved watching, I loved practicing basketball. So I, I I thought at the end, well, I'm probably just not a, a college student. This college is not for me, and uh, I, I think I'm going to quit and do something else. You know, I told my mother, and my mother said, no, you're not. <laughs> you're not going to do this. So she said, no, you're going to go back to college. You're going to limit the amount of basketball you play. I don't want to take this away from you, but you're going to – go back to college and you're going to go to class because I wasn't going to class and I wasn't studying. And uh, as a result, I did very badly. So what I learned from this whole experience was that I could do both. And uh, so it it really had a profound experience uh, impact on me because, you know, my, my mother would not let me, you know, just give up on things because she, my mother happened to be a teacher, so she knew that I was smart enough to, to do this work. It took me a long time to get my grade point average up to where it was reasonable enough that I could even think about going to graduate school, which I eventually did. But it was a long haul up. You know, I, I learned some things. Actually, I can talk about when you, you, you know, your, your question about what would be advice to my 21-year-old self. Let's go there now. Yeah, you cannot succeed unless you put the work in. You cannot succeed unless you put the work in. I, I actually thought I was not only a good basketball player, which I really wasn't. I really wasn't that good. But I also thought I was a very good student and didn't have to study, and I could still get good grades. What I realized from that experience that I, in, in order to be successful, you need to put the the work in and. 
The other thing that I learned was you can bounce back from adversity. You need resilience. You need support. You need to be what they what we now all call grit. You need to have that something within you. You know, one of my one of my favorite quotes is from Rosabeth Moss Cantor, who's um, wrote a book called The Change Masters, in which she says, "Everything looks like a failure in the middle." Everything looks like a failure in the middle because you said, you know, there's rah, rah, this feels great when we're kicking off a project or releasing a product or starting a new business. Uh, and at the end, we celebrate the results of it. It's kind of like college, you know, we're looking forward to college. And at the end, we graduate and there's a lot of celebration. In the middle, it's pretty tough. And the people who are really successful are the people that can get through and over and under and deal with those obstacles that come up. And this is something that Michael and I share a lot, which is I might not be the smartest person in the room, but there's nobody in that room that's going to outwork me. Yeah. Am I right, Mike? Indeed. Yeah. The one thing you can control, right, is effort. Yeah. 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 And if you look at all of the historic, really successful leaders and whatever size business, whatever type, whatever sector, yeah. you cannot substitute hard work for anything else, right? Yeah, it's the one thing in your control, but most people don't do it. Yeah. So, Michael, what would be your advice to you at 21? Yes, this one is of interest because it's also a current topic. I just got through the went through a process of interviewing about 15 different candidates, roughly that age. And um, it had been a while since I, I had interviewed people of this age, and so I was struck by number of things. The majority of the candidates that I interviewed first came from very good schools, in some cases, top schools. And, and of those, they largely had very good grades. And of those, they had, you know, just enough on their resume for in, in terms of extracurricular activities that if I looked at those three things, I couldn't really tell any of them apart, which is unfortunate because they worked very hard to get into great schools, to get great grades. They've done things outside of school. And because they're all doing following the same, I guess, formula, it was, you couldn't tell them apart. So now you have the interview. That may be the last thing that you can use, but it's material to differentiate. And I would say here, here are the three bits of advice, and I'm, I'm changing your question a little bit to here's the advice I would give to a 21-year-old interviewing for a job. Because yeah. I know this is what I wish someone would have told me this when I was that age, but I would want to know this. I think number one, if you're going to interview with multiple people for a job, make sure you know who that person is that you're speaking to. It's a simple Google exercise. I can do it. Anyone could do it, right? It's not that complicated. Um, and I was I was struck by how little they actually knew about me. Right. Uh, and, and that's not necessarily, I don't view that as narcissistic. I mean, you're, you're speaking to someone who's has an influence over whether you get a job or not. I want to know who they are. Two is, I was also struck by how little they actually knew about the company. And I don't mean balance sheet information. I mean, just basic, what's the proposition of the company? What do they do? And what's their differentiator? What's their value proposition? Still, again, highly educated, very bright people who didn't do the work. And then three, um, when, I, when I would turn the interview around to ask um, the candidate, what questions do you have for me? In large part, the questions were, what can we do for them? How will we help them and their careers? It sounds like a JFK quote opportunity. But to me, I see it very differently. I, I think you should be asking the question, how can, you know, how can I help right. you? And what help do you need? How could a candidate like me help you? Like, what is it that you need? And how could I help fill that opportunity? Because, I mean, the truth be told, what do I really care about what we can do for their career? 
where if I'm interviewing and I'm trying to fill a need, the, the opportunity will help your career. Yep. Don't manage it, right? It'll organically help Absolutely. you. So th those are my, my three things. Brilliant stuff. So final thing for us uh, is to make sure that we can help folk connect with you so that you can carry on the conversations. Where would you like us to send them? Well, there, uh, there's a, a website for the book. It's uh, www.thepositiveinfluenceleader.com. Thepositiveinfluenceleader.com. You can uh, email us there. We're both uh, on LinkedIn, and we've been posting a great deal on LinkedIn about positive influence. In fact, we just posted a, a wonderful review in the um, OD Network um, journal uh of the book that was quite extensive and 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 you know, very powerful you can uh if you you want to get the book it's available in paperback and also a kindle version uh on amazon of course we, we also would love to hear your stories of positive influence the kind of things examples that we gave you here we'd love to hear your stories because we're collecting them now and when you go to the website thepositiveinfluenceleader.com you'll see there's a blog called stories of positive influence we'd love to hear your story so if you uh again email either one of us you know you can send in your story a couple of hundred words as to in the, uh, your experience with a positive influence leader or a negative influence leader and how you overcame or coped with it. Awesome. We'll also make sure that all of those links are all in the show notes as well. So literally as people are finished listening, they can click in and uh, connect with you as well. It just goes for me to say, honestly, it's been a delight to have you both on the show. Yes. Uh, Michael, Glenn, thank you ever so much for being on the Leadership Hacker podcast. It was a privilege. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity, Steve. This was a wonderful conversation. Thank you very much, both. I genuinely want to say a heartfelt thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in too. We do this in the service of helping others and spreading the word of leadership. Without you listening in, there would be no show. So please subscribe now if you haven't done so already. Share this podcast with your communities and network and help us develop a community and a tribe of leadership hackers. And finally, if you'd like me to work with your senior team, your leadership community, keynote an event, or you would like to sponsor an episode, please connect with us via our social media. And you can do that by following and liking our pages on Twitter and Facebook. Our handle there is at Leadership Hacker. Instagram, you can find us there at the underscore leadership underscore hacker. And at YouTube, we're just Leadership Hacker. So that's me signing off. I'm Steve Rush, and I've been the Leadership Hacker.